financial bondage that's been holding you back? Are you ready to take charge of your finances to cut your mortgage payment in half while reducing your taxes significantly? If yes, then this podcast is for you. Fiscal Fitness and Freedom can pay off the national debt in less than 10 years. So from humble beginnings of just about $500, Scott built a billion-dollar mortgage company. So here's your host, Scott Smith. Welcome back to Fiscal Fitness and Freedom. We're your hosts, Laura Lewis and Scott Smith. How are you, Scott? Doing good. How are you? I'm doing great. This weekend, I was having a conversation with one of my girlfriends, and she was telling me that she started doing TaskRabbit. And mm-hmm. she's a paralegal. She's been doing that for a few years. And we live in New York. Cost of living is high, but it's just been like a moderate. We all accept it and we all do our jobs, and it's fine. So it kind of surprised me that she was now having to do something in addition to her regular job. And so we're talking and she's telling me that with student loans coming back and all of these additional expenses, the cost of living has really risen just in the last couple of years alone. And she can't really have that same standard of living she had pre-pandemic when things were a little bit cheaper and, Mm -hmm. you know, even during pandemic until now without So she's having to supplement her income. And it made me really think about the gig economy in general and how many people Mm -hmm. are having to do these extra things because they have a full-time job. They are actively working. But now things are just so expensive that it's not feasible to continue to live off just that same income. Mm -hmm. So what is the solution here? Like, how is this trending? What is it going to do in the Mm -hmm. economy? Is this, I mean, this is not, sustainable if things continue mm-hmm. to rise there's only so many jobs you can take on so mm-hmm. what is going to be so yeah yeah so in other words you're noticing that it's getting more expensive to maintain the same cost of standard of living same standard of living right cost of living's going yeah, I mean, faster than everything rent. is more groceries you know mm-hmm. houses rent is so much higher and mm-hmm. i see this in a much rate than before i think mm-hmm. before you know yes things getting a little expensive and you know here and there you're making you're like not getting walk on your burrito but now it's like mm-hmm. you can't get the burrito you have to just make it at home because uh, it's so yeah. much yeah that's your anecdotal experience and the data actually supports that and you know like i think it's very much tied to the growth in the monetary economy versus the material economy Best we've used this example before, but it's it's just a shocking data point. In the two years of the pandemic, the ten wealthiest people in the world, in those just those two years, they doubled their net worth. So that's shocking, you know, because you think you have to realize it took them, you know, depending on their age, ten to forty years to get to their net worth, and then they double it in two years. The other data point that would come out in that really illustrates that is that in those same two years when we were throwing a lot of people into poverty, tens of millions of people lost their jobs. We also found that every 26 hours, a new billionaire was minted somewhere around the world. Wow. So you're seeing that during this shutdown, there's a huge generation of wealth in the monetary economy. It was not occurring in the material economy. And then we had breakdowns in the supply chain in the material economy for a wide variety of reasons, but just, you know, people 
going at home, it just, it breaks the supply chain. And then those are being reestablished in new ways, more expensive ways now, or not not being reestablished. And so the cost of goods is higher. It's much higher. And that's that's hard to fix just by raising interest rates. But this thing about, hey, I can't keep up with the raising cost of living, my standard of living is dropping, has actually been present in our economy for about 50 years at different times, more or less. 90s, probably less. Things 90s might have been the best decade uh, for a few years since the 80s. And it was in the 70s that wages be- really began to flatten, whereas production continued up and making money in the monetary economy outpaced making money in the material economy. So that's been a problem for 50 years. And it's tied to a lot of things, but it is picking up right now. So in other words, this is something that people are noticing. I think anecdotally, everybody's kind of shocked at their grocery bill. Right, Um, absolutely. And so there's, it's a confluence of many things. One, the war with Ukraine and Russia disrupted energy flows and food. Ukraine was a major producer of wheat. Energy impacts um, fertilizer costs, which impacts food costs all across the world. So the war with Ukraine and Russia is contributing greatly to the cost of groceries. Interesting thing. You would never, you know, you hear about. Yeah, Yeah, you don't see that, right? But that does because Fertilizers are created out of fossil fuels. And so with the embargo of Russia and all the various things that are happening, that's keeping fuel costs, energy costs high, and that's impacting food costs. Food is a fossil fuel heavy commodity, both in terms of the energy it takes to plow the fields and do everything and the cost of fertilizer. And then transportation is a major component of the cost of food. You know, you grow ahead of lettuce somewhere and you've got to get it out to Manhattan where you are. That's There's a lot of transportation right. involved. So when energy costs go up, that's part of it. So the war is part of it. Breaking the pandemic supply chain is part of it. The other part of it is a desire to reshore. So China was a major factor in keeping the cost of goods down. That cheap labor and highly efficient factories that were built Hard to compete with that when you reshore. It's not going to be something that can be done right away. One of the challenges is that a lot of the the direction that business is taking to try to bring cost of goods down is automation. And so, you know, a lot of the argument that oh, we sent our jobs overseas, now we'll bring them back, but robots get them when they come back. So <laughs> we sent our jobs to China and then we gave our jobs to robots when we brought back to put it sort of in crass terms. And there's a lot of truth to that. I think that I would also like to point out that it's the cost of the financial operating system, which is, you know, you can't have a monetary economy that is has gone from 350 times bigger than the material economy to 400 times bigger now. So volume of payments went from, like when I first started researching this about 10 years ago, it was around 4,500. 4,500 trillion, and now it's over 9,000 trillion. Oh my gosh. GDP's gone up, wages have gone up too, but not to the same proportion. And so the amount of money that is generated in the monetary economy, whether it's like somebody becoming super wealthy or just they're quite affluent, if they're earning their money in commodities and, you know, bond trading and 
Yeah, I mean, we can go down the list. And there's so many jobs in that field that generate good money. That money that they're receiving also helps to drive the cost of goods up too, because it's a supply and demand type of a thing. And so that's the challenge. We're moving into a new mode in which workers are more of an expense. They're viewed that way. Some of that is psychological. Some of that is value-based. If you look at business people in the pre-70s, workers were very much seen as an asset because they were trained educated for certain jobs, certain skills they had to develop. The technology was improving their productivity. And so workers were an asset you couldn't do without. Well, workers are still an asset you can't do without, but technology isn't making the worker more valuable. Technology is beginning to replace the worker. And so that's across the board, you know, with AI, it's impacting higher paid type of jobs, more cerebral types of jobs. And so it used to be, well, it's just brute labor. No, it's across the board now that. And so there's going to be more and more pressure for automation to replace workers. So yeah, we have a situation that is global. It's particularly yeah. strong in the United States. It's not, it's not a partisan thing. It's something that is invariably happening to a civilization when it becomes as technically advanced as this one is. So it's an interesting issue. And that is one of the reasons I did write A Tale of Two Economies. And it is the solutions that I have in it are, I mean, they're very effective, but it's not like a solution that lasts for a hundred years. <laughs> they're stopgap. So basic income is a key piece. Basic income flat across the board. I mean, you know, all you have to do is ask yourself if you have $2,000 extra each month, would that actually make things more affordable? And I think everyone listening to this, unless maybe Elon Musk is listening in on my podcast, you know, $2,000 a month for him, it's not going to be noticeable, but for 90%, 95% of citizens, it's going to be very noticeable. Now you can't pay for basic income out of income taxes. That's the whole secret behind the payment tax and the proposal I'm making. But basic income would make a difference. It would make a big difference for everyone out there. Earned income credits so that whatever the job is, you're getting another thousand dollars because you had that job. That's a credit against the earned income. You just add that that makes it more incentivizing work as well. Yes. And so then you also have the same thing. If, if you're not paying interest, that makes it more affordable. So every single thing in what I call the Financial Freedom Act helps to counter the real challenge that we have today. And the challenge we have today is occurring partly because there's so much competition within the material economy to try to keep prices down. And yet, uh, the monetary economy has so many factors that just serve to drive the price up. And so this disparity between these two different economies drives this problem. And so the proposal I make helps solve, solve it to large measure, but it didn't, it's not something that completely rights all the wrongs. But our current tax system and benefit system the way it is, it exacerbates those, those wrongs. And so we do need a change. We need a very big change. And so what you're seeing anecdotally is supported in the data out there. It is getting harder to earn a living and things are getting worse. We do need to make these changes. Yeah, before it's too late, I think, you know, this is something that can be implemented when it's too late, but to what end, right? I think this is the time to act is now. And it really is just becoming 
this everyday everybody. And that's when you start to realize this is bigger than, you know, politics, people or just one individual or one state. Like it really is impacting the entire nation. Absolutely. And, you know, what's maddening about it is I can't think of a single politician who's really hitting the nail on the head out there. And certainly there's not one party that has a leg up on the other party on this thing. This is an endemic problem. It's deep and it it does require changes and it's impacted. You know, it's interesting. I Maybe for my parents' generation, they might have skated through well up until, you know, their later years. My generation's impacted my entire generation, your generation, right from the get-go. It's worse than it was at the get-go for my generation. Everybody's suffering continuously, and the younger the people are out there, the worse off they're going to be because of this problem. But, you know, again, somebody just tuning in, you got to go to the website, The Foundation for a Better Economy, got to look at the book, A Tale of Two Economies. There is a way that we could dramatically reduce our taxes reduce the cost of borrowing and receive benefits. And that helps balance things out tremendously for anyone, you know, in the 50% level or down for half the nation, it's going to make a difference of between three and five times, you know, you're going to have three to five times as much disposable income for anybody, for people from 90 percentile down to the 50 percentile, it's two to three times as much net disposable income. And it's it's essential today. It's the only way. It's a combination of reduced income taxes, additional benefits, and, and changing the cost of the financial operating system. And we can actually be enjoying quite quite a bit of abundance that way. It's a very good solution. Without it, though, we're just in deeper and deeper trouble. It's frustrating to see the misinformation about there, out there as to why it's happening. You know. For those of you that are not big readers, we also did two episodes on summarizing both the Financial Freedom Act and Banking 2.0. They're under 20 minutes. You can pop in and and listen to them and that gives you a good background of what it is. I know for me, it was good to have a refresher on it. I really enjoyed the book and it is a really short book, really impactful. But I know there's, you know, sometimes you just want to listen to something on your commute and that could be really helpful as well. Yeah, thanks for that reminder. It so I mean for listeners there we can make a huge difference in our lives. The only way this is going to begin to happen though in today's environment is to share this and try to get enough followers so that mainstream media begins to pick up on this. And I know traveling around and speaking to small groups that people are electrified at the solution. And everyone is experiencing exactly what you're talking about, Laura, and your friend was talking about. We're seeking some sort of solution. And if we put this out there and get get enough attention, then this can be addressed seriously. And there are solutions and we can do and we can enjoy a better life. That's we'll sign out on that note. And we look forward to seeing all of you on an on another episode. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. That's it for today's episode of Fiscal Fitness and Freedom. Head on over to iTunes or wherever you listen and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week who posts a review on iTunes will win a chance at a grand prize drawing to win a $25,000 value. 
grand prize drawing for a private VIP mentoring session with Scott Smith himself. Be sure to head on over to fiscalfitnessandfreedom.com and pick up a copy of Scott's blueprint to discovering your own unique formula to personal success. And join us on the next episode.